Good morning. Happy Labor Day. We've labored so hard, we're just tired, huh? Well, hopefully we can. Congratulations, though. Celebration for tomorrow's a holiday for all of you who labor. For those of you who don't labor, get a job. And enjoy the day off with the rest of us. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, we're glad that you are here today, and I hope your mind is here and not, man, in one hour I will be on the lake or the mountains or the grill or whatever. So uh, I hope that we're, we're ready to go. I want to just give a quick invitation personally. You heard about Leadership Summits Tuesday night. For those of you who are in Knoxville, welcome, and I'd like to invite you as well to the Leadership Summits on Tuesday night, 6.30. We're going to be talking about Genesis 1 through 11 and uh, looking at the creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel and how that impacts us today. If you've ever said to someone, I just don't know the Bible as well as I'd like to, Tuesday night, 6.30. We'll be glad to see you there. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Leviticus. Wow. Leviticus. Some of you just went night-night, but stay in here. Stay in here with us. We've been looking at this series called Homework, and we've looked at six things that parents can do to maximize their time with their children, with their family. And today we're going to close out this series on homework, asking the question, how do we make our home work? But we're going to be looking at the very first point Pastor Trent mentioned, a biblical foundation for faith. How do you make Jesus the center of your home? And while we looked at that in the context of parenting children, what I want to do is look at it in the context of marriage. And how can we do this in the relationship between the husband and wife? And and for the believer, Jesus must be the cornerstone of any foundation, of any home, But in the home, the marriage between the husband and wife is foundational to the health of that home, and especially the children. You see, the best thing that you can do for your children is to love your wife, husbands. And the best thing, women, you can do, wives, to care and love your children is to love and respect your husband. And if a healthy marriage is not there, and it's not the foundation for the home, if you don't have this, then you might have members of the family feeling just a little unsafe, just a little off kilter, unstable, uncertain, unsettled, a bit wobbly, perhaps fearful, or anxiety. Taking that first principle of building a biblical foundation, I want to give three quick general principles And then the third one I want to spend the entire time on as we look at it. So when you think about what does it mean to have a biblical foundation of your home and make Jesus the center of your home, I think the best thing you can do for your children is to treasure Jesus more than any other treasure on this earth. This builds the foundation for your home that you need to go to the next stable place of health and maturity. It's not just coming to church. It's seeking the kingdom of God and making those priorities the most important thing 
in your life, pursuing them and tracking them. Secondly, get spiritually and emotionally healthy. Many times we think, hey, I am what I am and I can't do anything about it as a mom or a dad. I just want to help my children. And maybe I went through some things in my own home and what my parents did to me and what they brought into the home or what they did not bring into the home. And I don't want to do those things to my children. And if it was absent, I want to do the opposite of that for my children. I want to protect. I want to create a different environment. And I'm not really pushing for me to continue to grow and mature and get healthy. I just want to create a different environment for my children. And while that sounds very good, it's not long-term health. Because the best thing we can do for our children, or one of the best things we can do for our children, is to get healthy ourselves. Because eventually, we may teach them what we know, or teach them the opposite of what we learn, but it just seems that we reproduce what we are. And if there have been generational issues coming down through our family line, we seem to just pass them on if we don't get to the place where we're breaking generational curses and breaking generational bondage and moving in ways that we can become healthy so that what we pass on to our children is spiritual and emotional health. Lastly, love your spouse and invest in your marriage. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time on talking about loving your spouse and what is love. Love has become a number one issue for all of our lives, I guess. It's about the most common thing that songs are sung about. But we have missed the idea of what love is. It's so connected to feeling that we've lost the true identity and definition of love. With that said, let's go to Leviticus chapter 23. Wow, this sounds exciting. And find out what is love. So in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 12b and 13, God has given Moses the requirements of bringing a sacrificial offering. He's talking about the Feast of Weeks. He's talking about other feasts. And he's using this idea of bringing an offering to God to give us these instructions. You shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord, to Yahweh. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. That sounds exciting. What does this have to do with love? Well, I want you to notice the specificity that God gives to Moses in how to bring an offering to him. It's not just grab a lamb, a sheep, a goat, a bull. Don't just grab something. Grab a lamb one year old. One year old with no blemish. The best lamb, the one that you could use for reproducing and breeding so that you can produce more healthy, perfect lambs and sheep. I want you to bring that one. 
a male, year old. And then you're going to make a food offering that's pleasing to the Lord. And that food offering is going to be two-tenths of an ephah. Now, an ephah is about 22 liters. So about a gallon, a gallon of fine flour and a fourth of a hen. That's about a quart. Hey, I've got some extra wine I'll bring. I've got some old flour. No, 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 no. A gallon of the finest flour and a quart of wine with some olive oil is going to be the offering that you give. Very specific. Well, what if I don't want to give that? What if I just want to give maybe a teaspoon of fine flour? Or I really don't want to give much wine at all because I really like drinking wine. Whatever's left in the bottle, I'll bring it, Lord. wonder if that's what happened with Cain and Abel. That was Genesis 4, way before these instructions. But there seemed to be something going on in that, that that seemed to make them understand what was an acceptable offering and an unacceptable offering. Because Abel brought an acceptable offering, but Cain did not. Perhaps Cain's mentality was, hey God, get what you get and don't pitch a fit. And I don't think God lives by that mantra. Hey, God, here's a lamb. He's got three legs. Looks like he's got the mange. He's about to die in a week or two. Let's just go ahead and offer this guy up there because he ain't got much time left on this earth anyway. Sacrifice him to the Lord. And the Lord says, whoa, 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 not acceptable. I want your best. I want your best. Well, here's a little wine. Here's a little. No, no, no. I want a gallon of flour, and I want a quart of your best wine. And I want you to offer that as a pleasing offering to me. And you say, well, what is the deal with such? It's so specific. And then he says in chapter 22 at the end, when you give all of these things, I am Yahweh. And if you'll do this, you will not profane my name, and you will honor me and show respect and love me. And so as I began reading this this year, January, I read through the Bible every year, so I got, I got stuck in Leviticus, and this is where I just bogged down. Not in a bad way this time, but I just kept going. It's so specific, everything. Like God is giving us measuring cup type stuff to bring him an offering, not just bring something. Why is that? And then as we go on, we see in the New Testament this idea in Ephesians, Paul writes, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did what did Jesus do for his bride, the church? Well, he was tortured, he was sacrificed, and he was crucified on a cross to show her, us, the bride, that he loves us and is willing to meet our very important needs. Then we see John writing in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Or maybe we could put spouse or children. 
And as you process these things and begin to understand what it is that is happening here, I just begin to think, I'm beginning to see the definition of love. And I don't get to determine what it is. As a matter of fact, I learned that the recipient of love gets to define the definition of love. God, Yahweh, the recipient of the offering of my love, he determines what is and is not love. Why? He's the recipient. So my spouse and my children, if I'm going to love them like Christ loved the church, if I'm going to love someone, I don't choose how I'm going to love them. They must also have a very specific way that they have defined love. What makes them feel loved and what makes them receive love and what makes them experience love and feel wanted and cared for and cherished and respected. And I, I, I see the downside to that because we live in a culture where the word feel gets very, very <laughs> raised to a hierarchical level that it shouldn't be at. And we need to, 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 to bring, so it's not like I feel and because I feel this you have to do it. And, but I'm, I'm, I see the danger but again, I'm talking to Christians, I hope, people who are followers of Christ, who have a, an appropriate understanding of what their wants and needs and their definition of love is. So just risking that for this conversation. My spouse determines what love is. And what I care about and how she defines love. Therefore, I need to become a student of my spouse, my wife, my husband, my children, and I need to listen. I need to learn. I need to be the biggest student of all things in this world that I want to learn about and study about. I want to learn and study about what is important to my wife and children, my husband and children. And what makes them feel cared for? Flowers, rubbing feet, snuggling, sharing my feelings, affirming this, encouraging that. What makes them feel cherished and respected and honored? What makes them feel or experience love? Now, I've heard a lot of people in my days, especially men, not always men, but sometimes men, and they, they like to define the kind of love they're going to give to someone else. This is what I do. So a man might come up, and, and it could be others, but in this particular case, it's usually a man who says, I don't do flowers. What? No, I don't do flowers. You buy them, two or three days they're dead, you throw them away, it's a waste of money. Foolish, foolish man. She likes her feet rubbed. I don't do feet. I ain't touching no feet. Nasty. Not doing it. I don't touch feet. Sharing your feelings. I don't share my feelings. 
listen, care. What does it mean? <laughs> so we say these things like, I just don't do those things. Well, here's the thing. These are the recipients, and they're defining to you what makes them feel love. I don't snuggle. When I go to my bed, I don't want to be touched. I sleep. It's about sleeping. Mm. Well, you don't have to do feet, and you don't have to do uh, meeting sexual needs, and you don't have to uh, buy flowers, and you don't have to hold hands, and you don't have to listen, and you don't have to share your feelings. You don't have to do any of those things. Just don't get married. Because the whole idea of the day you got married, you do feet, you do share feelings, you do snuggle, you do, yeah. Can you imagine if somebody went into the military and they're lining up at boot camp, and here they are in that first week, and that commanding officer is letting you have it, and he can't take it anymore, drop and give me 25 push-ups. And somebody's saying, Sergeant, I just need to let you know right now, I don't do push-ups. It's just not working for me. Tomorrow morning at 0500, we're going. Get your fatigues. We're going to. Sir, I am no good in the morning. I just don't do more. Could we back that up to 0809 hours? I mean, that would really just work out for me. Can you, we, we laugh at that because we couldn't even fathom that being done. Well, you don't have to do push-ups, and you don't have to get up early. Just don't go to the military, right? Same thing with marriage. You don't have to do these things, but you promised you would do them all. You said, when did I promise to do those things? Rewind back to a day you stood on an altar and you stood with that man or that woman and you said two very dangerous words. I do. Yes. Well, what does that mean? It means I do feet. I do snuggle. I do share my feelings. I do listen really well when my wife wants to tell a really long story with lots of details and side trails. I do listen, and I listen well, and I grunt every now and then. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, to show that I'm listening. Yeah. That's what I do does. Nobody told me what I do did. I know they didn't. I'm sorry for that. They didn't tell me either. But that's what it means. I do. I do. So when somebody's sharing to you what's important to them, guess what? I do think it's important also. I don't become resentful. And I go, great, i got to go shopping. I'll do it because I love you and I want to sacrifice. I don't think, here God, here's a, 
was a quart of wine. I'd really like to have it myself. But you got to have it. Yeah. No, I don't think that's, that's love. So we get into this idea that the recipient of love gets to create the definition for love. I do. I do. Christ gave us all his best sacrificially, and so should we, both to God and to our spouse. I will give my best and sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice to learn how to love my wife, how to respect my husband. I will fast from food. I will fast from my hobbies. I will fast from social media. I will fast from working so much. I will do whatever I have to do to learn how to listen if that's what my wife or husband needs. I will do whatever I have to do to learn how to share my feelings if that's something that makes them feel loved. I will do whatever I have to do to learn how to touch feet or buy flowers or snuggle or meet sexual needs, I will give my best, even my own life, as Christ did for his bride. Love is giving your best, not your leftovers. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We must become a student of our spouse. You see, we're all on three journeys. We're all on three journeys. First of all, we are on my personal journey. Every single person in here, married or single, is on their personal journey. A journey to become the man or the woman God has called me to be and the responsibility to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is 100% my responsibility. No one or no thing on this entire planet can block me from becoming that. Nothing. My spouse, persecution, throw me in jail, cut my head off. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And no one can slow this or hinder your ability to be conformed to the very image of Christ. No one. You're on a personal journey. And you're going to stand before Jesus one day and they're going to say, what did you do? Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to stand before another throne that you don't want to be at. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to ask you, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And I could say something like, well, I did the best I could with the wife you gave me, Jesus. And what's he going to say? I know, like she really wasn't very participating in all of this, was she? I, I really was rooting for you, bro, but it was... I could see how tough it was. No. No, I saw that. And I was with you. I was encouraging you. I was strengthening you when you were weak. My presence was with you when you were lonely. What did you do? My personal journey. Single, married, everybody is on that journey. Second journey 
is our spouse's journey. If you're married, you're on three journeys at the same time. And if you're single, you need to understand this. Now you come in once you're married, your spouse is on a journey too. The same thing. To become the person God has designed them and called them to be and fully responsible to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as a believer. And that's 100% their responsibility. Just as I can't say my spouse when I'm standing before Jesus, my wife will not be able to say, well, because of my husband, I, no. This is her journey. Or if you're a woman, this is your husband's journey. And I'm not responsible for her journey. I can encourage, I can walk alongside, I can support, I can pray, I can do everything that the Bible tells me to do to love her well. But whether she receives that or not, and whether she chooses to follow Jesus, and whether she wants to exalt him and and even respond with the love I give back to me, I can't control that. It's out of my control. I only have control of my own personal journey. And I'm not giving any energy to how she's treating me. It takes everything I've got to work on making sure I'm loving as Christ loves the church. What she does with that is between her and God. And she's on her personal journey. And my direct participation in that is through her invitation and discretion. I'll come back to that in a minute. And then the last journey, our marital journey if you're married. As a Christian couple, we have the opportunity to create a Christ-centered marriage, Christ-centered home where we share his love and glorify him. And this is a shared responsibility. Why? Because one of this couple can block it. Usually there's, in any marriage, there's usually one who wants a deeper relationship, who wants a deeper relationship with Jesus, who wants to honor Christ, who wants intimacy and everything that the Bible means by the two becoming one. Usually there's one who cares a little more about that and the other one goes, no, we're fine. We're fine. And that one who just wants a little more struggles knowing they're on a different journey than their spouse. And they're not going to be able to have this because another person can block it. But it doesn't mean that you don't continue on your personal journey. The best story in the scripture about these journeys is the prophet Hosea. Hosea is a, a prophet and God is, is tired and he's, 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 he's at the end of this relationship with Israel. Judgment is coming. But he wants them to know with all of their, with all of their adultery and all of their seeking and, and disobedience and following other gods, even though he told them not to, all of this relationship he had with Israel and they're, they're just prostituting themselves out. God wants them to know how much he still loves them if they would just come home and repent. So God calls this man named Hosea his prophet. And he says, I want you to go. And I'm going to tell the story the way I 
I tell it. It's not unbiblical, but I might embellish a bit. He tells him to go marry a prostitute. That's true. And her name is Gomer. Now, any relationship that has one of the people's named Gomer, you could probably figure it's not going to go well, right? This is already not in a good place. But this woman's a prostitute. He brings her home, and he marries her, just as God said. And at that moment, for the most part, she's there. They're married. They have three children. But at some point along the way, the call of that old life, the call of the wild, comes back upon her heart. And she leaves and goes back to the brothel and finds her pimp. And here's Hosea. He didn't want her. God led me to her. I can't even make the excuse I chose the wrong woman. I was outside God's will. No, I was exactly in God's will. And now I'm a single father with three children. My wife is at the brothel, returning to her former life. But he was faithful. Is he going to have this third journey? God-centered marriage where they, no, not a chance. But he stayed faithful to his personal journey. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to love these three kids. I'm going to do everything I can to bring glory to God and protect my family and raise them up in the nurture of the Lord. And he did. So much so that God honors him by being an author of one of the 66 books of the Bible. But then one day, Gomer The thing about prostitution is there's an expiration date, right? You age out. And her pimp can't make money on her anymore. There are no men who want to sleep with her. She's old. She's used up. And in that last attempt, he wants to sell her as a slave. And he does. And all of a sudden, God comes back to Hosea and says, hey, your wife is not exactly like this, but, but your, your wife is finished, wrung out, done, used up. He's selling her as a slave. I want you to go back, and I want you to buy her. Buy my wife? Yeah. He does it, and he goes and he buys her. This ragged used up, nobody wants her. And I want you to bring her home and I want you to love her and bring her into the family. Now, we know the story is about God saying, if you will come home from all your prostitutes, all your adults, all your turning from me, I'll love you. And you rip and bring home my love is welcoming to you. You can do that. That's a great story. And it's a true story. And it was, it's a beautiful story. Unless you're Hosea. <laughs> this was Hosea's life. To be called, to be called, to model God, not just preach about God to all of Israel. Wow. 
He's not going to have this third journey. He's not going to have it. His wife's not interested. But he was faithful to his personal journey. You see, the issue that many of us have and why I heard somebody say the number one issue why marriage is in is a lack of personal responsibility. We just don't want to own what's our part of that. Well, I'm leaving because you, because you. I'm not happy because you, and I'm not. What about me? I work a lot with single people, and single people are always saying, I want to find the right person. They never say, I want to be the right person. All the focus should be on yourself. How other people behave and respond and react to that is out of our control. The reason we get anxiety and fear and depression and a lot of these things is because we're putting our energy into things that are outside of our control. I need to love well today. I need to be a student of my wife and children today. Because at the end of the day, love is an invitation. Love is an invitation. You see, my wife, as I said in that second journey, my involvement in that is by her invitation. And if I step into somebody's space and they didn't invite me there, because I have a lot of time People say, I need you to talk to my son. He's going sideways. I need you to talk to my husband. He is missing the boat. Here's what I know. They haven't invited me into that. If they call me and ask my opinion, I will share it. But they have to invite me into that. Some of us speak into our spouse's life and people's lives that we weren't invited into. You said, well, I thought I do. meant you were invited. Yeah, me too. But it didn't take long to, to, to me to learn. I wasn't invited to talk about her mother. I was just making an observation. You're not invited there, buddy. Oh, good to know. Note to self, right? And so we speak into people's lives, even our own spouses, into places. And all you have to do is just say something and watch them react, and you'll know immediately, I'm not invited into this place. Or we were talking, and it was fine, and I kept going, and it was like, okay, the invitation ended. <laughs> and sometimes we're wise enough to stop, and sometimes we just keep going. You see, Jesus invites us. All of love is an invitation. I mean, when you think about it, when you first met your spouse, you started with, would you like to go out to see a movie? Would you like to go out to dinner? It was an invitation. Would you like to marry me? Will you marry me? Invitation. Someday a judge or a preacher or somebody spoke over you. Would you take this man to be your husband? Would you take this wife, this woman to be your wife? Invitation. And somehow the invitation ended somewhere. We weren't sure how that works anymore. 
But love is an invitation. And invitations are great. They really are. I mean, they're, they're wonderful, except the fact that the invitation has two possible answers. What are they? Yes and no. Well, if it's yes, we're in business. I would like to invite you to really care for me and love me the way I experience love. And when my spouse says yes, we're all right. We're in a good place. I'm going to be a student of what you care about. I want to learn what you care about. I say yes to that invitation. But unfortunately, there's another side to the invitation, and that is no. Now, no one visibly or verbally says no, typically. But you can tell by their actions, I don't do flowers. I don't do feet. I don't share my feelings. I don't listen very well. I don't like to be home much. And you immediately tell that their answer to the invitation is what? No. No. This is where marriage becomes very, very difficult. What do we do in this space? Some of you are there right now. I mean, ultimately, I'm speaking to four people today, four people groups, single people, married people, married people who want to be single, single people who want to be married. This is a big deal. Staying marriage is important for Christ, Christ's kingdom, and the children, if you have them. And this is a big deal. But what if you don't? It's understanding the difference between needs and wants. You see, needs are something that no one else can block. I'm on my personal journey to become the man God wants me to be. I want to love my wife well. I want to listen to my wife. I want to love my children well. I've learned that I can't treat them all the same. Each of them defines love a different way than the next one. And I've got a lot of work to do, and I've got to focus on these things. That's what I need to do. And no one can block that. No one can block that. But when I begin to say, I really need my wife to start treating me better, I'm in trouble. Because there's someone who can block that. That's a good want, that's a good desire. I want my wife to stay. I really do. I hope she doesn't leave, but she could. I can't control anybody. And when you try to control something that you can't control or need something that someone else can block, it messes your life up. All my children are grown and gone, and I want them to behave and do the right things and choose Jesus and... I can't control that. I can pray for it. I can encourage. I can support. But my opportunity to speak into their life is ultimately by invitation. And sometimes they don't always invite me.
So I need Jesus. I need to be focused on myself. I need to get emotionally and spiritually happy. I need to treasure Jesus more than any other treasure on this earth. And nothing or no one, not even the enemy himself, can change that or block that. But when I start saying I need my wife to do this more, I need my husband to listen, I need, I need, we begin to switch the price tags. I want those things, I sure do. It's why I got married. I want my wife to be a student of me and to learn what my wants and desires and needs, what I think my needs are, and I want her to embrace them with all, and that would be amazing. I want it, I desire it, but I, I, don't, I don't need it. I need oxygen. I need food to live. I need Jesus. I, and when we switch, and what happens a lot is I need my husband, I need my wife, I need somebody who loves me, I need somebody who cares about me, I need money, I need a better job, and I want Jesus. Oh, we are not in a good place. We switch the price tags. I need Jesus and every promise that he gives me. And I need to make him the treasure and the Lord of my life. I want some things. Oh, how much I truly desire and long and want some things. But if I ever cross up needing and wanting, I will do some very bad things. And it gets me sideways. So for those of you who are hurting, I want to pray for you right now. And if you would just bow your heads. Those four groups I just mentioned, I really want to pray for the four of you. But I know, first of all, there are some married people right now who want to be single. And you're not meeting the response of your spouse and your spouse perhaps feels trapped. They've given up, they're hurting, and maybe they wanna leave. And I, I just wanna speak to some of those marriages right now. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would intervene today and that your Holy Spirit would just go deeper into the hearts and the souls of any husband or any wife today that's just done, they've had it, or they're not responsive. They've been saying no to the invitation of their husband or their wife to care about them and to go deeper. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move mightily in them today. Lord, I pray for the single people. I pray that they would elevate what it means to be married, that they would understand what I do does, and they would be very careful and very slow in seeking someone to spend their life with, as the Bible says to do it. Lord, for, for all of us, we pray that you would teach us to love. Married or single, it doesn't matter. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love people. Lord, to do that, we have to 
know people and care about them. And ultimately, we have to be connected to Jesus Christ because only in that relationship do we have what we need to appropriately care about other people and love them. And are we loved in the best way only by Jesus? Take us to new places, I pray. Help our homes work. And let it begin with me. Let it begin with the individuals in this room that they will go deeper. They will begin to care about and love and listen to how other people in their household, especially men, especially fathers, especially husbands, Lord. Let the men raise up and let them love their wives and children if they have them. Let them love as Christ loved his bride. And help them to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.